1: From the Milton Metz Studio and the Radio TV Building at Indiana University, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, your host, and this week we're talking about the Regional Opportunity Initiatives and its goals for the 11-county Indiana Uplands area that it encompasses. Our panelists will discuss their involvement with ROI and the next steps for the organization. Our guests are Tina Peterson, CEO and President of Regional Opportunity Initiatives Incorporated, and CEO and President of the Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County. Gareth Jolly, Plant Manager of General Motors, Bedford Casting Operations, and a member of the ROI Board of Directors. And Greg Sepp, Vice President of Artisan Electronics Incorporated, and also a member of the ROI Board of Directors. You can follow us on Twitter, at Noon Edition, or you can join us on the air by calling 812-855-0811 in Bloomington. Are toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indiana Public dot org. Well, Tina, welcome back. Hasn't been that long since you've been here. Thanks, Bob. And uh, Gareth and Greg, thanks for joining us on the program today. really appreciate it. So, um, ROI one of the, one of the reasons that uh, Tina was here recently. We did a, uh, we did a show on on housing and regional housing and local housing and ROI just completed. A housing, a housing study. Um, we've talked about that. We might bring, we might talk about that a little bit today. But but ROI is so much more than that. So Tina, I wanted you just to be able to give sort of an overview of what is ROI. What's the history of it?
2: Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, in all honesty, the organization is four years old, almost four years old. So we were funded four years ago. But really, the impetus for this work began about three years before that. So uh, the Lilly Endowment <laughs> actually reached out to this region, and at that time we didn't know what this region was, what counties that included, and said, we believe you have some exceptional assets. Is there anything that we might be able to do to help you more fully achieve your potential? Uh, and that sort of set us down this path while well, a group of seven people spent about three years really digging in, um, using some resources from the endowment to understand who we are as a region, what our assets are, where we might not be achieving what we would hope. Um, And and that really fell into more of the category of prosperity, where we had these exceptional employers, um, three key sectors that really give us the opportunity to think about prosperity and compete in a 21st century world, I suppose. Um, But you know, and of course, great higher ed institutions. We live in the most beautiful part of Indiana. People want to be here. But yet, low post-secondary attainment, low per capita income. And were it not for three counties in our region, uh, you know, negative population growth, right? So losing people and losing a lot of young people. And so over... um, that three-year period, we talked to a lot of people, we hired a couple of consultants, and we really came to understand that we have something quite unique and quite special in what we now call the Indiana uplands and the 11 counties that we defined through commuting patterns across our region. Mm-hmm. And um, there were you know, six key things that were identified that needed to be accomplished if this region was gonna really thrive, if we were gonna advance our economic prosperity. And several of those are addressed by our organization. So four years ago, the Lilly Endowment gave, fifth, well, what now is $52 million, but at the time was $42 million in grants, and it created three different organizations, ours being one of them, Regional Opportunity Initiatives, to focus on education, workforce, and quality of place. Next to us is the Indiana Innovation Institute, meant to focus on um, the bringing our innovation assets together. So our higher ed institutions, our researchers at Crane to really advance innovation, technology transfer, commercialization of IP, and then the Center for Rural Engagement focused on the issues of rural communities. And so really that's how we came to be was this grant, Um, and and our piece of that is really how are we going to attract, retain, develop talent uh, in a way that's really going to serve the needs of our region and our key employers.
1: Yeah, simple, simple thing, right?
2: Simple thing, Bob.
1: <laughs> so, overnight work. Right? Well, well, let's let's focus first on workforce because I think that's probably mm-hmm. where, where Gareth and Greg have a lot uh, to say and a lot of a lot of expertise. So, Gareth, let's start with you. So, you're on the board of directors. So, sure. what are the what are the main workforce issues you know facing this area? How strong do you think is the workforce? What are the what are the the, the strengths of the workforce, and then what are the areas of challenge?
3: So what we're struggling mainly with is finding um, people who want to move into manufacturing. I think historically manufacturing's had a bit of a bad rap, and people have these very negative images about a career in manufacturing. So one of our big elements has been to um, promote what modern manufacturing looks like, and it's not low-tech, it's very high-tech. It's, in many cases, breaking new technologies, and... Um, introducing a lot of high-skilled operations. So one of our biggest challenges is finding people with the right skill set to be able to meet the demands of the modern manufacturing facilities and trying to attract people at an early age to think about a career in manufacturing. So mm-hmm. for us, it's all about how do we develop people's interest right from the early years of their school career mm-hmm. to think about manufacturing and then to give them some exposure to that so that they get to understand what manufacturing is all about and then at least guide them in the right uh, courses and even developing courses in joint partnership with some of the schools and the secondary colleges to see how do we create people with the right skills to be prepared for the new um, requirements of this high skilled manufacturing
4: operations.
1: Yeah, let's stick with that for just a minute. So, Gareth Jolly, if you didn't catch the introduction, is plant manager of General Motors Bedford Casting Operations. So, you know, this new era of manufacturing, what are, what are some of the key skills that people need to have to come in and work in, in your, your plant?
3: So <clears throat> a lot of what we do today is very automated. So, for example, obviously there's um, a lot of robotics and a lot of automation, which drives a lot of um, electrical engineering skills or um, electricians and um, mm-hmm. computer-based operations uh, driving a lot of CNC operations. So trying to get people with that electrical background has been a big challenge for us and trying to get people interested in this um, field of engineering has been very difficult.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Greg Sapp, Vice President of Artisan Electronics Incorporated, so and also a board member at ROI. So, sort of the same question to you. I mean, when you think about workforce, what are the, what are the biggest challenges and what are the biggest opportunities?
4: Uh, well, Bob, similar to what uh, Gareth had to say, I'm actually competing with him on a lot of those <laughs> same skills, um, as you might guess with the, the name Artisan Electronics uh, we are also looking for those, you know, electrical engineering types. And um, some of the, the reasons that I was drawn to ROI was some of the programming that they were working on to help um, upskill a lot of the, the folks in the area um, to go after these types of jobs and and also the quality of place initiatives to try to attract people with those skills to this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, honestly, a lot of the, the same comments that Gareth had on – uh, electronics, um, software development, computer skills, things of that nature, what we're really after.
1: Well, I think, you know, most of most of our listeners would certainly understand what General Motors is about anyway, uh, you know, the big parent company. What's Artisan Electronics do?
4: So we're actually a um, defense service contractor for NSWC Crane. So a lot of folks in this region probably have heard of or know Crane as a, a major DOD component within the Department of Navy, uh, we're actually a, a small business that provides engineering services to the base. So when they get on an additional workload that maybe they can't undertake because of their, you know, lack of um, capacity at the time, we're able to step in and contract and, and do projects for them. So a lot of the, the highly technical skills are needed to do those work.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. We're, we're going to get back with uh, our three guests in a minute, but I want to – let you know that you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition, and you can send questions to the show at news at org. So workforce, it's a huge piece of this. Education, I think you both – Gareth certainly mentioned education uh, already. So how do those two things overlap? I mean, what are the educational needs that can help get the workforce ready to um, go to work for these two guys?
2: Sure. Well, you know, keying off of their comments, one of the things that we do annually is an occupational needs assessment. So we're trying to determine exactly what... Are our challenges in terms of workforce in this region? of course we continue to need many of you know we need project managers and we need people with finance background and a business background but what we're what we really struggle um, to get here not only our engineers and engineers of all types, right? Electrical is one. I don't hear much about uh, mechanical, but I'm sure that as well. But software, we need that in life sciences, defense, and advanced manufacturing. So every kind of engineer, we also need every kind of technologist, right? And um, scientists, and then production folks. Those are those are the skill sets, right? And the uh, degree educational backgrounds that we're really struggling to find, and the dispositions, right? that um, we are trying to make sure we're beginning to develop. If you listen carefully to that, they're all STEM-related, right? And so what we've been trying to do is to take a design thinking approach, working with our region and with our schools and with our employers and with our communities to think about what, what is the problem we're trying to solve here Uh, And and how might we go about solving that in a regionally relevant way? Solutions that have often been successful in bigger urban areas aren't necessarily going to work in the same way here. So how do we design our own solutions? So in two big groups, you would call that Ready Schools and Ready Communities. Um, And the Ready Schools work, we're really trying to get schools to think about completely realigning the way they are preparing young people for the future. So how do they actually, keying off of their relationships with employers and with what we've learned from the occupational needs assessment, begin in elementary school, building, right, the the dispositions, the skill sets. We believe soft skill development begins in elementary school. STEM education has to start in elementary school. So we have a host of initiatives, right? School alignment, where we actually Um, give schools the resources to spend a a year exploring, um, rethinking what schools should look like for their students, and then implementation dollars. And from that, we've seen student-run businesses developing in schools. We've seen um, academies. We've seen schools in different counties beginning to work together and share their students um, so that they can meet the needs of students. We've seen um, an advanced uh, um, automation and advanced manufacturing Actually, robotics and automation, I think is the correct, Vincent's um, Academy. So a a whole host of new things evolving to really prepare young people for the opportunities exist. We're training educators through STEM fellowships to begin really introducing computational thinking in a fun way. I don't want to scare anybody at elementary school. Um, Project-based learning, um, project lead the way. Um, But really also, um, and both these guys have participated in some of our um, programming for educators through boot camps, getting educators into employment sites, internship programs, work-based learning programs that align with the kind of work that we have here. Um, But not always an easy thing to do when not every county in our region even has an employer based there, right? So how are we going to be creative about delivering upon some of those things?
1: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that that's one of the big kind of global questions about ROI is this the regional approach. I mean, not every place in the region is the same. You mentioned, I think, only three of the eleven counties have population growth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I would assume that's Monroe.
2: Du Bois and Davies. Du Bois
1: and Davies. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, that leaves eight that are not having that kind of growth. I mean, how do you pull yet, a region yet, together? Right, yet, yeah. Yet, um, yet, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. How do you pull that? Re- you're, you're an optimist. You're always an yeah. optimist. Mm-hmm. How, do you pull, how do you pull a region together? And I guess I'd like to hear from all three of you on that. I mean, you, I, I assume there are some commuting patterns, Gareth, to going to, to GM to work. I mean, how many, how many of your workers do you get in Lawrence County compared to other communities?
3: Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't know the percentage, uh-huh. but sure. we have quite a diverse population relative to traveling distances. You know, we have people north of Indianapolis all the way down to mm-hmm. local Bedford people. It's uh, it's quite incredible how far people will tr- um, commute on a daily basis to oh. actually get to work. But, um, you know, obviously infrastructure is one of the big things. I think the improvements that have been made in the road networking over the last two years certainly helps to increase the accessibility for facilities like ours to mm-hmm. attract people from other counties to actually come and work here as well. Mm-hmm.
1: So, the, yeah, I, I sort of, you know, went from that big global question to a very specific question to Gareth, but this regional aspect of why is it important to bring together to work on this as a regional, regional initiatives rather than just county by
2: county? You know, Um, the original study we did uh, the strategic plan for economic and community prosperity in the um, Indiana Uplands said the number one determinant of our success was our ability to behave as a region, really you know, many of these communities are rather small and I've had this conversation with some folks, you know, all of a sudden we're building more relationships from outside of our community because where's the front door when you have a bunch of small communities and so you know, just having an entity and working deliberately across county lines is beginning to bring resources to this region that really wouldn't have been here before. But I also think that um, our employers don't really see county lines, right? I mean, to Garris' point, our employees are coming from a lot of places. When we talk about housing, we know that the people that work in Monroe County do not all live in Monroe County. In fact, they're coming from many different places. Crane has a map that I think shows they have employees coming from like thirty eight counties to work there, and I'm sure you have folks from multiple counties as well. so so nothing about what we do in this region is combined by any sort of county boundaries, nor do we have the resources in many instances you know really to advance some of these and these efforts in one single county. And so beginning to brand ourselves as a county, to use our resources collectively, Uh is beginning to make a big difference. We recently just received a talent designation from the state of Indiana. We were the third region in the state to receive that designation. It's an acknowledgement, even on the state's part, that, you know, economic development today is really driven by regions. It's It's not driven by individual communities or individual counties. And so, you know, we're finding, well, I'll you're so familiar with the housing study. You know, we had a housing technical committee and when we finished the work we said we they said we don't want to disband. We don't believe that we can address housing as individual communities. We need to do this as a region. And so, you know, together we're four hundred thousand people. Separately, sometimes we're ten thousand people and that, you know, that just doesn't have the same potential as as working together as a region. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to ask, Greg, because you're involved in, uh, you know, the defense industry, basically. So how how important – and that, that's one of those areas there that people who work in this every day like Tina does or like you guys do. Um, you know, I got a dose of it at the newspaper all those years. Um, we know that crane is really important to the region, but I guess I want you to just kind of talk about that a little bit. How How big is this – defense industry and how important is it to the Hoosier Uplands or the Indiana Uplands area?
4: Sure. Um, Bob, thanks for that question. I I don't have all the numbers in front of me, unfortunately, but I can tell you it has a huge economic impact in our region. Um, Thousands of employees, you know, commute into the crane ecosystem every day um, and that that translates it to a lot of high-paying, high-skilled jobs for the region. Um, You know, the we we pride ourselves, you know, in the crane community as being able to get a lot of things done for the Department of Defense, um, you know, on a dime. We we're a very high value to the Department of Defense, and you know, as the de- defense budgets ebb and flow, you know, cranes always been able to provide that you know skilled workforce and that um, completing the missions had a very good value. Um, so it's very important to be able to have the the workforce to be able to scale up when the, the, the budgets allow for it and then also to be able to produce high-quality products with, you know, the highly skilled people that you have when the, the budgets tighten up. Yeah, and could you add a little bit
1: to that? And, I mean, either of you can join in too, but the, the idea that if people think of a military facility and, you know, there's sort of some stereotypes of what that might look like, but Crane is really like a very high-tech it's like a big university campus in a lot of ways. Right.
4: right it really is. There, there's a lot of research and development that goes on that base uh, around all types of, of high-tech military sis- systems and sensors and, you know, all types of things that, you know, it's it's definitely not um, what it was in the 1940s when it was built as a you know, ammunitions depot. It's it's much more than that today. It's It's doing a lot of cutting-edge research for the Navy, and there's a lot of projects in there that would, you know, rival – uh, some of the best research going on at any of the, the universities around the United States today.
1: Mm-hmm. And Tina and ROI um, Crane is, in a lot of ways, sort of like really central to what you're doing, right? I mean, geographically, pretty mm-hmm. much central. Yeah.
2: yeah, they are. There's no question. And I think um, I, I think it's been really refreshing over the last number of years. The current technical director there, and really others, have become. T- much more collaborative, um, thinking outside the gate, so to speak. And I think it's sort of a different era. I think many of us knew Crane was there, but we had no idea what they did. We see so much more collaboration um, and engagement from the Crane folks. But they are four, or 5,000 people down there, right? They're one of the biggest employers in the region. Yeah. And that doesn't count all the defense contractors that they also attract to this part of the state. and. We are only seeing that grow. I mean, they're anticipating, you know, thousands of new employees in the next five years. And part of that's because um, the world of defense is changing a bit, right? It's like everything else, just like Garrett's point, it's very technological today. And so as the conversations about machine learning and AI begin to advance, Crane's been identified as one of the key areas in the country, one of the potential sites for a cluster around artificial intelligence and machine learning. And so I think we'll only see the impact of Crane on our economy grow, um, but they're not the only ones. We know life sciences is growing significantly, and we know advanced manufacturing is growing in our region as well. And so that comes back to that you know, mm-hmm. key tenet of the work we do, that we're not going to prosper as a region if we don't have the workforce that we need.
1: We're talking about the regional opportunity initiatives today on Noon Edition with Tina Peterson, the CEO and president of ROI, Gareth Jolly, the plant manager of General Motors Bedford Casting Operations, and a member of the ROI Board of Directors, and Greg Sapp, vice president of Artisan Electronics Incorporated, and another ROI Board of Directors member. We've hit halftime of our show. We're going to be right back after a short break.
0: From the Milton Met studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers south-central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIUNews. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org.
1: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from WFIU, WTIU News. If uh, you just joined us, we're talking about the Regional Opportunity Initiatives. It was established in 2016 with the goal of improving various aspects of living in an 11-county region referred to as the Indiana Uplands. We have three guests with us today. Tina Peterson is CEO and President of the Regional Opportunity Initiatives, Incorporated and also the Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County. Gareth Jolly is plant manager of General Motors Bedford Casting Operations. Greg Sapp is vice president of Artisan Electronics Incorporated. Both of them are members of the ROI Board of Directors. If you want to join us on the program, 812 811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. And that's from outside the Bloomington area. You can also send us questions for the show, news at indiana public dot org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon edition. So the so ROI is uh, you know making a lot of progress in various areas. We've talked some about education. We've talked some about workforce. Let's talk about quality of place, which is that third key sector that, Tina, you were talking about. So just as an overview, what's quality of place mean to you and what can be done to try to uh, work on that aspect?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, no question when you've got communities that are losing population uh, and you have a need for uh, a growth, we need to move in the opposite direction. You have to think about what are those things are going to attract and keep people in your region. And quality of place, of course, is central to that. I heard a speaker um, from um, Washington, D.C. recently talk about the changing dynamics of the next generations of workforce and how – they're more interested about and in whether you have scooter lanes um, than they are maybe about even some of the specifics of the jobs that you know they really pick a place where they want to live where they feel like they can thrive and so how do we think of quality of place in a rural part of the country and so you know we've done a couple of things to address that first thing we did was to start thinking about how we take advantage of the interchanges along I sixty nine you know what what are the key things we should think about. Developing along this corridor that really, you know, from in our region would be from Bloomington um, to Washington, south of Washington, Indiana. How do we develop that corridor? What's possible at each one of those interchanges? There's 12 of them, right, in our region. And all of a sudden, we're much closer to Evansville, and we're much closer to Indianapolis. And what does that mean to us, and how should we be using those interchanges? Um, We've done a housing study. As you know, housing is one of the number one barriers. Broadband is... Is and continues to be a challenge and one of the big ones that we're um, going to have to continue tackling. And then, you know, recently we empowered every one of our counties to create a countywide quality of place and workforce attraction plan, and we asked them to... um, convene a group of community stakeholders and begin having conversations, right, about what it is they think that their communities need really to attract and retain people. And each one of them has come up with a different plan. That keys off of your comment earlier that all of the each of these 11 counties are different and unique, and one strategy doesn't work for all of them. So, how is it that we give people the opportunity to create something and own it that they're going to be able to advance? And so, each of them have developed a plan, and they are now beginning to apply to us for implementation dollars to put some of those quality of place strategies into place. That's very exciting, right? As we talk about, you know, a, um, you know, um, building the commons area out in downtown Washington, Indiana, or maybe creating a quarry park here, or creating the first Parks Foundation in Lawrence County, and uh, just a host of initiatives. Uh, work. Some some are workforce, some are child care, some are, you know, transportation related. Each county has something unique that that's really going to advance their ability to keep and Mm-hmm. attract people
1: here. Yeah, so and Gareth and Greg, every day I'm sure your your companies are thinking about how do we how do we attract and then how do we retain people once they get here. Okay, so absolutely. what are some of the strategies that you have and some of the thoughts you have on this? Gareth?
3: Okay. So you're right. It's, when I first moved down here, I was told that Bedford's the hidden gem of Indiana. And it's one of those places that once you get there, you never want to leave. And I can certainly attest to that. And certainly the people that we've been able to get to see what it's really like to be in southern Indiana. Once they're here, they don't want to leave. And that's our biggest challenge is how do we get people to come and experience it? So from our recruitment strategies, you know, it's all about getting people here. You know, historically, we've been trying to leverage a lot more technology for remote interviews and um, Skype interviews. But the success rate is not as good as getting people physically to the region. And that's what we do. So we make it a key element of any recruitment activity to get people to come and experience what it is like in Bedford and in, in Bloomington and the surrounding areas. And they sell themselves. It's incredible. Once people actually get to witness all the opportunities and the growth that certainly over the last couple of years has been experienced in many of the areas, they are immediately attracted to want to move to the area. So
1: so, I, so I want you to say a little more about that because actually, you know, this uh, radio program is – on the it's it's goes to several counties in the state, but it's also there. Are people listen, you know, online. They may not have ever been here before. So, what are the kinds of things that once they got here, they would find and that would want they'd want to stay?
3: So, certainly, um, I think one of the things that people are surprised at is the diversity in the region. You know, obviously with IU and the college town, it provides a lot of the diversity. But even in the surrounding uh, counties. Um, I think there's been a lot of um, new people moving into the areas and it's created a lot more diversity in the areas so I think that makes it very attractive if you just even look at some of the available uh, recreational activities you know there's a lot going on in southern Indiana you know you've got Lake Monroe you've got a huge network of golf courses which I know is one of our big talking points with people Um, but you know Indianapolis is so well connected with the infrastructure you've got the local airports you know Huge airport, Indianapolis, Louisville, so it's a very um, accessible area to live. That people have realized you can get to a lot of different places as well from here. So um,
4: there's
3: a lot of different things. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Craig, how about you?
4: Yeah, I wanted to kind of chime in because it, you know you're talking about the regionalism piece. The the one thing that I really got excited about when uh, when Tina was telling us about it is is a landing page for the region. Because I find that when I would try to do attraction of new new employees to this region, I would fi- I would find myself trying to figure out you know which county in the area had the best looking website, and I'll send I'll send a link to that website to potential prospects. And um, at ROI, we were able to kind of create a regional landing page that had links to all the area you know community websites, all of the attractions, and the things that they can do, and the quality of place things. So that was a real exciting thing for me, and um, you know some of our you know attraction plans is always about you know prior military members because as a defense contractor, you really you love to hire people with that direct defense experience so as i as I tried to target transitioning military members and attract them to come and live in southern Indiana, you know most of them are very well traveled people and they want to they want to know why why would I settle in southern Indiana when I have all these options so you know being able to um, to help quantify and help communicate that to them um, has been a great effort of this of this ROI group, and I've been a real appreciative of that.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Tina, when we started the program, you talked about uh, six key things that need to happen mm-hmm. to really push the prosperity of our region. Uh, I'm sure that we've touched on a few of them, but what, you know, what, what is the list? Give me the list of all six.
2: Are you testing me, Bob? I am. Um, so the first one was that we had to develop a sense of regionalism, right? So we've mm-hmm. talked about that today. The second was we need to advance our key sectors. So when we did our original <clears> analysis, there were 14 sectors active in this region, eight that really had significance, but only three that we really felt differentiated us collectively from other parts of the country, so advancing those key sectors. Building a workforce in our region was one of the key ones, and then addressing a quality of life. Um, Fifth on the list was connecting our innovation assets in a meaningful way to create more jobs, more startups, more entrepreneurship in the region, and the fifth, sixth, was dealing with um, those issues that are unique to rural America, the Center for Rural Engagement, right? Mm So the, the top four really fell into the area um, of responsibility for ROI. The next was Indiana Innovation Institute, and the last was the Center for Rural Engagement.
1: Right. Okay. And those key sectors, again, um, we've talked about them already, but education, workforce, quality of place, and mm-hmm. those are those sort of um, go through everything mm-hmm. that you're trying to trying to do. If you have questions or comments for us on, on our conversation on ROI, give us a call at 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indiana org. So I want to ask about, so um, it's been in the works somewhat for seven years. It's actually, you're about to celebrate your fourth Birthday, mm-hmm. so what are some of the the biggest successes that you think ROI has has had during that four years? How have you made a difference?
2: All right. Um, well, you know, I think the work that we're doing is generational work, right? So, um, so those hard numbers are going to be hard to track for a num for for some time, but we are already seeing an increase in per capita income. We've seen a growth in post secondary attainment, um, and and maybe um, out-migration decreasing slightly, right? Uh, But those really aren't yet the indicators of success. And I think some of those more leading indicators, you know, just looking at the 15, I'll tell you, Bob, when we first went out and said, we want to sell you this, you know, basically four-year process of rethinking your schools, we hoped someone would be interested. And we've now engaged 15 of 27 school corporations in redefining what education looks like in their communities, I think that is a huge success. We, and I just, I mentioned it earlier, but the idea that we're creating regionally specific solutions, I think, you know, the concept of a student-run business is something that's really taken off, and we're going to take that a step further with fabrication labs now in schools. Some people will say that's bringing back shop class. It's it's a different version of shop class, but once again, understanding the importance of applied learning to really building connections with the jobs and the opportunities that are coming in the future, I think um, will, will really pay off for us. But those student-run businesses where students are applying for a job, they are, um, you know, maybe they're the design person, maybe they're managing the facility, maybe they're running a CNC machine or a laser cutter. Sometimes they're profit-sharing. They are running a business, right? They're going to come out of high school with a completely different level of preparation than some other folks, beginning to see some real aligned pathway development between K-12 schools, industry, and post-secondary. But I think some of our biggest successes are just how communities are picking things up and moving the ball forward on their own. You know, that we are catalyzing some things that the communities are then just taking and owning, not just communities, even some of our employers. Right. You even here, we've talked about some of the examples at Cook where they have, you know, begun to look at different segments of the labor force that we might not have access access before or through. Um, uh, you know, the Excel Academy and Goodwill Commercial Services and their My Cook Pathway program. Um, some of the unique things that Greg is doing to attract talent. I mean, everybody is stepping up and really owning their part of the solution, I think. And um, just the fact that um, we're beginning to attract additional investment in our region. One example would be Brown County Schools, right? a community that has almost no employers uh, other than retail, right? They don't have health care even. Uh, they do have a, a lovely brewery facility I think everyone <laughs> likes. But, um, but you know, they are, they are, you know, really stepping up and making some things happen. And they recently received a $5 million grant for the National Institute for Excellence in Teaching that was a direct reflection of the work that they were doing here in the Indiana Uplands. So... Um, Getting every county to come together to create a quality of place plan, not individual communities, but at countywide and saying, you know, what's good for my town is good for your town is good for the town across um, the county line, I think is huge progress for us. And so we've had 80 some on educators go through STEM training to become STEM fellows to really inform this work. Um, I could just continue ticking sure. off things for you, but I think, you know, really, I, to me, and I'd love to hear from these guys, I just think the biggest success is how we have come together as a region. We branded ourselves. We did that together. We're now the Indiana Uplands. We have our colors. They're brown, purple, and yellow. Not really. But we are hardworking, innovative people that care for one another and neighborly, right? Those are the three colors that define who we are as a people. And we're beginning to use that story to make people outside of the uplands know what opportunity exists here. Mm
1: -hmm. So along those lines, I, I want to bring the other two guys in in just a minute. But before I do... The the relationships that you're building from county to county into thinking regionally. Can you talk a little bit more about that, about this relationship building and the importance of that?
2: Sure, absolutely. I mean I think I think it's an acknowledgement, right, that um we aren't competing necessarily um with one another. And maybe we are sort of sometimes, but um, you know, it's that rising tide concept, right? Um, but just beginning to see, for instance, I'll take Ready Schools as an example. The superintendents of all these different schools are beginning to work together, right? So they convene, they, um, th- you know, they share resources, they visit one another's schools. And, and I don't know how many people realize this today, but our schools, because when, once the legislature said that you could take your tuition anywhere you wanted, Our schools are competing against each other. And the fact that these schools that once thought of themselves as competitors for students um, are now beginning to, to share approaches to how they can advance education across the entire region and make all of their schools better, to me, that's a perfect example of regionalism, right? Um, but then also I think the housing work is a perfect example where we're beginning to say, okay, I know all the housing is not going to be in my county, um, so but let's see what we can do to develop housing that complements ours with yours, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So, Gareth and, and Greg, I'm, I wanted to talk about ready schools and right. how important that is for you know, both of your organizations, both of your businesses, to have a different approach to how education is being taught and or being done by our our school corporations so, today. So, Gareth, why don't you start with you?
3: You know, when you talk about the successes, I think, from my perspective, the, the level of engagement and participation that we're seeing both from the employees and the school um, systems is incredible. Um, even in the last twelve months, it's pace is accelerating. And the level of interest and desire to get more integrated in employer and school institutions relative to what can we do to streamline some of the education um, classes to be able to make people ready for when they leave school. Because obviously there's not just people want to go to degree programs, there's technicians. We have a lot of opportunity for technicians. So how can we provide the right skills and this appetite to try to restructure or even develop different teaching programs? to try to provide those necessary skills, I think, is extremely exciting at this stage. You know, even down to the fact we've recently been um, fortunate to have some high school interns, which was a great opportunity for them, but also it was a real learning experience for us to have people at such an early age to really try to find out what motivates them and what do we need to do differently as an employer to really attract people leaving high school um, either wanting to go to secondary education or not go to secondary education and take on a technician role. So... That level of openness and uh, desire to want to participate with the employers I think is a huge change, and it's something that we're very excited to be part of.
1: So, yeah, and I wanted to ask you because, you know, you're, uh, you're a young man compared to me. But, you know, you, <laughs> well, you, you, <laughs> you look like you've, you've been in the business for, a, you know, a little bit. So how has this changed over time, you know, from you being a plant manager somewhere and your interaction with the school to what you're seeing now in terms of um, – you know, the ROI approach and and interacting with school as part of your day-to-day, you know, day-to-day role?
3: Um, I think the the big difference is that we are seen as integral members of what the educational process is. You know, historically it was, I would say, a very pre-described process where people either do apprenticeship programs or they go to college or they come in as uh, general um, production operators. And there was no um, integration of those um, learnings with the employers. It was just, a, you know, it's a general route that we can go through. And then ultimately at the end of your graduation, you might go to employer A or employer B. The fact that we're actually being part of that education process is a huge change that I've never seen before. And it's something even in some previous roles I've had I've never seen as well-developed as it uh, is well as, as in Indiana.
1: Uh-huh. Okay. Greg? Um, sort of same question about your, you know, your thoughts about the Ready Schools and how important it is to what you're trying to do.
4: For me, I'm I'm actually very excited about the Ready Schools because to Tina's earlier point, you know, we're we're dealing with generational problems and, and especially around workforce development. You know, we we are going to spend a lot of time, you know, trying to get our you know sons and daughters educated well enough to take on these high tech jobs, and you have to start very early. And what we don't want is for the, the education system to lag behind the demands of the, the careers that are needed. So the Ready Schools really excites me. It really it, – it's what drives me to continue being a part of ROI. And I'm, I'm just really excited to see this generational change that, you know, the, the students going through these Ready School programs today are going to be the next scientists and engineers that are supporting the Defense Department and Crane here in southern Indiana. Mm-hmm. So I, I just get real excited about it, Bob. Okay,
1: Good. Um, we have a, a question. Looks like is come in from. Well, I'm going to wait for just a second on that. So um, let's talk about Ready Communities too, because we talked about Ready Schools. So Ready Communities. What give us? Give me the short version. What's that mean?
2: Yeah, I mean. It- once again, we said, you know, in order for this this region to really achieve its potential, we have to have ready schools, ready communities, and ready employers, right? And so how do we work um, collaboratively on all of those aspects of um, – what we define as success for this region. And so Ready Communities really wraps around all those things we're doing related to quality of place. But how can we as individual communities within a larger region begin to step up and own our piece of um, preparing this region and our communities for workforce attraction and retention? And so it's really that process they've gone through of building a plan of identifying what's lacking in their community and then figuring out how they're going to tackle it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I when we first began this work seven or so years ago, Becky Skillman and I took a tour of the region and we visited one community after another and there was this real sense of hopelessness in many ways. We're, we're declining our farming jobs, our traditional manufacturing jobs are going. We're not sure what our future is. The investment by the endowment sort of completely changed everybody's perspective of what, put, what our potential might be. And we see a, a real um, rebirth of hope. And you can see that. Uh, we just had presentations by, from 11 different entities this week that were seeking implementation dollars for Ready Communities grants. And they brought pictures, they brought people, they brought rooms full of people that wanted to talk about what's happening in their community and the murals that are happening on the walls and the new path that's occurring and the way that people are working together to support their schools and serving on their Ewats and their QPATs. So that's their education and workforce advisory teams and their quality of place advisory teams. And you can say those acronyms now and people know, it. oh, yeah, I, I, I've been on a QPAT or an Ewat, And, you know, just that ownership that's beginning to take about, OK, what's lacking? Is it a shop? is it a co-working space is it a health care center is it a trail is it a park is it child care um, and saying okay we we have to own some of these challenges and begin to work with our resources and our partners to address mm-hmm. them and so that's really ready communities and greg you've been really working with some of the green county communities that i've been thinking about um, yeah. improving quality of life yeah,
1: And I think that goes really to the name of what you're doing. You're, mm-hmm. People are looking for opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. What's right. the opportunity we have? And then you talked about design thinking, I mean, which is a big fancy way of saying, you know, what's the problem and right. how can we solve the problem? Mm-hmm. So, right. OK, we do have somebody who's called in. Her name is, uh, is Star. Star is called in, says uh, there are structures looking at problem areas in the, uh, you know, in southern Indiana, problems like drugs, unemployment. Uh, more solutions for local people who are in poverty so i guess the comment kind of goes to the the question too how does how does that you know the drug issue the opioid issue the unemployment issue these problem areas um, you know poverty and trying to to increase i get more people out of poverty how does how does roi you know interact with that
2: I'm looking at these. Guys. you want that one? Um, How about one
1: no. of your board members want to talk about that? <laughs> I was just saying, that's a tough one. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, number one, I mean, we've talked about this forever, Bob. Uh-huh. Education is often the solution to many of those things, right? So if we can begin to prepare people for the opportunities that actually exist and begin, well, not begin, advance this concept that there is more than one definition of success, right? And so that was a key tenet of this work was You do not have to have a post-secondary degree necessarily to be successful. You need some sort of post-secondary credential, but sometimes that's a certificate. Sometimes that's just, you know, some dual credits and some uh, workplace learning that you've had at the high school level. But beginning to redefine success to look like many different things. Um, But I have to tell you. You know, this coalition of people that we have in our region that are focused on this work, it includes community foundations, it includes nonprofits, it includes schools and employers, and, uh, you know, each of us as organizations are beginning you know, to advance each of those, you know, you know, the Community Foundation's doing work here around opioids and substance use disorders, you know, that preschool, um, preschool and right. child care. And so, you know, it's not like any one entity is going to solve our problems. It is an acknowledgement that we all have to be activated to address all of those things. Education will be a big piece of that. Quality of place will be a big piece of that. But so is the justice-involved um, efforts that are going on in many of our communities where they're engaging people coming out of the um, the court system. And obviously, Goodwill, Excel, there there are so me- many things. We are doing, you know, we placed counselors into schools specifically to, uh, to work with children and families that we didn't think would graduate. We have a partner with IU now on the college advising corps placing people into high schools to begin really work with kids to help them understand what life after high school should look like and what opportunities they have. Um, It's a tapestry of things that have to happen for any community to be successful, much less 11 counties to be successful. And we're not shying away from any of them, Um, but, yeah, it's generational. There's a lot of work to uh, do.
3: I think the educational piece is a a big point of it because, obviously – As we get more growth, we get more people in. We have several programs internally that we can allow people to grow and continue their education. I think if you look at people like Cook Medical with some of their very innovative approaches to help people get high school degrees and then to go on to further education if they want, that opportunity, I think, addresses a lot of those concerns that you raised, Bob, because Mm -hmm. it gives people reasons why they want to continue to develop. And I think, uh, you know, Cook's without doubt some very good partnerships with some of the local tech colleges – developing these programs that allow people to continue their educational growth and that's something that we're actually trying to learn from as well yeah
1: so you're each to have about 30 seconds to let me know what's next for your group and what you think is next for roi but first uh, tina you mentioned becky skillman and mm-hmm. you know becky's a former lieutenant governor what's her role
2: She's, she's on the board okay. um she's she was on the original group of seven right that yeah. really designed and advanced this work and she continues to be such a huge proponent um for this part of the state she's from here mm-hmm. you know sure her heart is here um she cares deeply for people so she continues to uh support and inform our work
1: okay 30 mm-hmm. seconds so for
2: me, it's, it's developing uh,
3: te- technician skills,
2: both mechanical and electrical, working with
3: the schools to offer a different career path to provide that mechanism to get that uh, skill to enable them to become um, employed with people like ourselves. Okay,
4: great. Uh, for me the next things I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing some of the implementation plans coming out of the the regional um quality of place initiatives and also I really I'm looking forward to seeing some of the the ready schools outputs and seeing how those affect the the educational opportunities available to the children in our region. All
1: right. 30 seconds, Tina.
2: We are going to tell the story much better about the Indiana Uplands right. So we have the website that Greg mentioned, indianauplands.org. Um, We are about to launch a career awareness campaign that part of was filmed within the GM facility, just really beginning to tell the story more deliberately of all all that we have to offer in the Indiana Uplands.
1: Thank you very much. I want to thank all three of our guests today, Tina Peterson, Gareth Jolly, and Greg Sapp for engineer Mike Pashkash, producer Benta Boutier. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.
0: Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports, in print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.